In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, there's an old dad joke I'm sure you've heard. Of when is a door not a door? When it's a jar. Ha ha ha. Well, the, the title of this sermon is, When is a question not a question? And the punchline would simply be when a bunch of religious leaders are speaking to Jesus. Uh, in this passage that we've just heard read from Matthew, it's one in a series of sort of false questions that is posed to Jesus. It's, he's in Jerusalem. We're very close to Good Friday and Passion Time. And we're right, right along in the exact same series as uh, the question that Paul preached about a couple of weeks ago. But this time, it's the Pharisees are up. It's their turn at bat. And they asked Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now, as we know from the text, this is not, in fact, a curiosity. They're not trying to figure out where Jesus stands on sort of the interplay between civic duty and uh, religious uh, obedience. Um, In fact, no, it's a trap just like the other questions that have come before. Uh, it, it's, a, it's not really a question. It's a non-question. Now, you and I deal with non-questions all the time, and we pose them ourselves. They take a, a few different forms. I'll give you a couple. Um, sometimes what sounds like a question is actually a test. Um, there's the classic, well, where are you from? Or what school did you go to? Right now, in this uh, month, there's the, there's the who are you voting for? Or why don't you have a sign in your front yard? And then there's the, the, the Onion, um, the satirical newspaper. Uh, they sort of parodied this once when they said, majority of Americans experience profound sense of dread when asked to name favorite music. That question, what kind of music do you listen to? To a certain type of person, that is a test. It's not really a searching for information. But sometimes uh, the non-questions are actually requests for confirmation. You already know the answer that you want a person to give, so you're not actually you're not actually curious. Uh, I think this happens a lot of times when we ask for advice. We already know what it is we want the person to say. We're just looking for permission to do that thing. Um, maybe that doesn't describe you, but uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking to uh, a, a young woman who was talking about how she had taken on too many obligations, and there was a there was a part time job that she was um, thinking about. Um, bailing on. And uh, as she spoke, it became clearer and clearer that she'd already decided she was going to quit this job. What she wanted from me was sort of a, a, a kind of a, a permission, allowance, a blessing or something like that. And it's fine as far as it goes. It's just an exercise in listening, not actually in advice. Um, then there's always those, those questions, which are not really questions, but are sort of a demonstration of knowledge, a way of signaling uh, your own uh, identity or importance or something. I, uh, in a similar situation, I remember speaking to a graduate student a few years ago who um, confessed that he spent the entirety of his first semester as a doctoral student trying to think of the perfect question to ask 
his professor, the question that would make him sound like he grasped the material on a much deeper and more profound level than everyone else, the question that would make uh, the professor take note and say, ooh, who's that, that silent guy in the corner really knows his stuff. He's really been tracking. And of course, the, the, um, the uh, result was that he never spoke up at all and uh, kind of left feeling like he'd missed an opportunity to really engage. Now, maybe you've attended a, a public Q&A session like this. And of, of course, uh, we're in a moment of lots of debates and hearings where what sounds like a question really isn't. Um, but oftentimes, questions are really uh, accusations rather than questions. Um, there's the classic, what is the matter with you? That's never meant uh, as, as you're, it's always rhetorical. It's always pointed. Uh, but any kind of question that's framed to manufacture a certain like damning answer, these were called leading questions. And they're not allowed in, in court. You know, objection, your honor, uh, leading the witness. But there's other sort of more quotidian examples of questions that are not questions that are actually accusations. Um, just yesterday, as I was preparing the sermon, I, I asked uh, my lovely wife, I, I asked her where, where was the Tupperware? Where is the Tupperware? Now, what I meant and what she actually heard was, what did you do with the Tupperware? And uh, uh, what did you allow those kids to do with the Tupperware? It was, it was if I'm being totally honest, it wasn't, an, it wasn't an honest question. It was an accusation. Now, in the case of today's reading, uh, the non-question posed by the Pharisees isn't so much a test because he's already failed they, they, they've decided what they want to do with him. Uh, they've decided that they're after him. They're after blood, in fact. There is no possible right answer, at least as they're conceiving of this question. Uh, the Pharisees want Jesus to endorse law-breaking of one kind or the other, because if he says it's, it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, uh, then he's seen as a disloyal supporter of an occupying power by the Pharisees. But if he says it isn't, well, then the Herodians, who are also present and are much more collaborative with the Romans, well, they can report him to the Roman authorities. So it's, this is not so much an, a question as a ruse to entrap Jesus, to condemn him. Now, this word trap if you feel your blood pressure rising, then I think that you're, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you know what it's like to feel trapped. Maybe you've been trapped by an accusing uh, mob before. But maybe you just, uh, how many people have I heard from that say they felt trapped by COVID? They, 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 don't feel, they can't travel. They can't go to work. Their, their kids are, can't go to school. They feel like agency has been taken away. But then there's sort of greater, um, greater feelings of sort of, of, of being caged. Uh, there, you know, I hear from peers as well who feel trapped in middle age by obligations, by bills that need to be paid. So you're trapped by, by finances. You're trapped by, by health, perhaps. Maybe you feel like you're trapped in, in a dead-end job or you're trapped in a, in a dead-end, a loveless relationship. I don't know what it is. I know sometimes traps are sprung on us by malicious parties, but very often we walk into traps of our own making. I mean, what is Jacob Marley, and when he appears to Scrooge in A Christmas Carol, he always says, I, I wear the chains I forged in life. That is his cage. So how does Jesus respond to this attempt to trap him? Well, he does, he does two things. It's very telling. But firstly, he unmasks their duplicity. 
He has no time for it. He, he sees right through it as he always seems to. He says, why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? He, 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 he has insight into how people are actually operating. He hears what's the meaning behind the meaning. And that is something he sees right into the heart of it. And that's just who he is. But what we see is that he refuses to be trapped. He will not be trapped in this case. And I think it's, a, it's, a, it's timely. He is, will not be trapped by a single political ideology. Now, maybe you need to hear that this morning. Jesus Christ will not be trapped by a single fabricated political ideology, no matter what it is. He, is, is, if he evades traps. That's what he does. But secondly, he does something remarkable. He, he gives to their non-question, he gives perhaps the greatest non-answer of all time. He asks them to give him a coin. He looks at the coin, he says, whose face is on there? He says, Caesar. And then he responds, well, we'll render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. Now, is he saying that you can participate in civic society without attributing it to a divine significance the way that it seems like our political life has taken on such religious religiosity of all types? Well, he's not not saying that, but I don't think that's the main point. I don't think he's trying to weigh in about what you owe the state versus what you owe God. Uh, these are legitimate questions, but that's not really what's going on. Jesus is simply being who he is, that, uh, and, and who he is is the key that springs every trap. When he reveals who he is in Luke 4, he picks up the scroll and reads from Isaiah and says that he's come to bring sight to the blind and preach freedom to the captives, those who are captive, those who are entrapped by life, by circumstance, by sin. I had the um, uh, incredible pleasure of interviewing one of my great heroes uh, a couple weeks ago, the skateboarder Christian Hosoi. Now, if you were a child in the 80s, you're my age, uh, there were some professional skateboarders in, that were basically superheroes and uh, just larger than life. And it was a subculture, but you know, over the years, skateboarding has become much less of one. And Hasoy was a great world champion. He was this West Coast kid who was exotic looking and extremely handsome and had the most graceful moves you could possibly imagine and wore all the coolest clothes. And he was, he was, he was widely seen as the rock star among that um, among that uh, among that crowd now he ran into some trouble like a lot of those guys did and uh, in 2000 uh, long after he'd been world champion in 1984 or 1985 uh, he got caught in a trap that was sprung by the DEA and a trap for trafficking drugs and he was put in prison for five years and they made a documentary about him and uh, he's since become a pastor spoiler alert he's become a pastor but I so I watched this documentary and I knew that I wanted to interview him one of the things he said to me was very telling. He said, I was, I was already a world champion at age 17 in 1984. So until 2000, when he got arrested, I tried to discover myself, looking anywhere and everywhere. And finally, drugs was where I thought I'd found it. That led me to prison. Now, once in prison, he t tells a remarkable story of coming to his wit's end and feeling like his life, he has no reason to live. And he, he receives the advice as, well, you should maybe turn to God. Now, this was not a kid who'd grown up in a religious house whatsoever. And yet he was out of 
options. He was completely trapped. Uh, and so he cries out. He prays for the first time ever. He said, God, if you're, if you're, if you're real, uh, help me. And a few minutes later, the inmate in the cell next to him, uh, he asked, does anyone have a Bible? And the inmate in the cell next to him gives him a Bible. He flips it open. He flips it open to Kings in the Old Testament. And he starts reading and he's captivated. And all of a sudden, he's read the entire New Testament. And he, he, he told me on the phone, he said, ultimately, it came down to knowing what Jesus did for me on the cross. It took knowing he took my place for the sin that I was carrying. And that's why I can forgive myself. Most people can forgive everybody but themselves because they always remember what they did. For me, it was that moment of clarity, knowing that I'm no longer that person, that I'm dead to my sins. I got baptized. I buried the old man as he is in the grave, and now I have this new life. And then in the, the few, you know, after, after his conversion, in the documentary, they actually visit him in prison. The documentarian is standing on, you know, one side of those glass uh, things where they're interviewing like a, a, a person in jail. And uh, the documentarian, uh, well, Christian starts laughing. And so the documentarian asks him a question. And it's a real question. It's not a non-question. And the question is, who, who laughs behind bars? And Christian responds without meeting, missing a beat. He says, men that are free. You see, the trap had been sprung by Christ himself. This Jesus who ultimately did allow himself to be trapped, to be trapped by the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Romans and his disciples. He was trapped, not just for arbitrarily, he was trapped for the sake of those he loved. We know that he could have wiggled free as he had a hundred times before, but he acquiesced. He submitted uh, to the chains that he did not deserve for your sake and for mine. And for that reason, he looks at you this morning and is not concerned with who owes what to whom. In fact, as far as he is concerned, payment has been made in full, all the debts settled, you are forgiven, and you are free. All that remains is to have